Welcome to the Spot On Podcast, brought to you by MScan, the Melanoma Skin Cancer Advocacy Network. The show gives you a baseline understanding and knowledge about skin cancer to help navigate that journey ahead through diagnosis and treatment. In this episode of the Spot On Podcast, today we're diving into an important and somewhat less common topic in the realm of skin cancer, which is Merkel cell carcinoma, or MCC for short. We're lucky enough to be joined by three distinguished experts who'll provide you with valuable insights on this topic. You'll hear from Dr. Michelle Goh, a dermatologist, Dr. Wen Zhu, a medical oncologist, and Associate Professor David Koch, a radiation oncologist. In this episode, we're going to be exploring a host of questions ranging from the basic understanding of what a Merkel cell carcinoma is, to how it's diagnosed and the various treatment options that are available. We're going to break down each layer, exploring the complex terms in a simple and accessible manner. Dr. Go will explain the nature of MCCs, the difference between it and other skin cancers, as well as how it's diagnosed. Dr. Zhu will give us insights into the incidence of MCCs in Australia and other countries and the stages of the disease, plus the treatment options and the possibility of clinical trials. And then Associate Professor Koch will shed light on the role of radiation therapy in the treatment of MCCs, what it involves, and the potential side effects. Also throughout the episode, we'll give some practical aspects as well as how regional Australians can access treatment and the mental health implications of dealing with a diagnosis. First up, I speak to Dr. Michelle Goh, a consultant dermatologist who has a special interest in complex skin cancers, and she's treating patients every day in private clinics, public hospitals, and renowned cancer centres. So I'm a dermatologist. I, I work in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, and I work a fair bit in skin cancer management, including Peter McCallum Cancer Centre and a few other public hospitals in Melbourne. Now, a Merkel cell carcinoma is a rare type of skin cancer that can be aggressive, sometimes more aggressive than melanoma. It is thought to arise from the Merkel cell, which is what the Merkel cell carcinoma cells look like. And the Merkel cell is a cell which is called a mechanoreceptor cell, which is located at the bottom layer of the epidermis, which is the top layer of the skin. And it's thought to be associated with nerve endings that receive the sensation of touch in our skin. So an MCC is called a Merkel cell carcinoma, not because it originates from the Merkel cell, but because it looks like it, which can make it a little bit confusing. The Merkel cell carcinoma cells are also considered to be a neuroendocrine carcinoma because it has features similar to this other group of rare tumours called the tumours of the neuroendocrine system, which is a network of hormonal glands and nerves in our body. So what actually causes an MCC? Well, it's pretty much what causes other skin cancers, which is DNA damage from chronic long-term ultraviolet sun exposure. In addition, Merkel cell carcinoma has also been associated with a specific type of viral infection, the Merkel polyoma virus infection which has been found to be integrated into the DNA of cells, which then also cause uncontrolled cancer growth. So if we say that the Merkel cell carcinoma cells come from Merkel cells, Merkel cells normally transmit the sensation of touch. So they're just the infrequent cells scattered along the bottom of our layer of our skin that allows us to feel the sensation of touch related to the nervous system. 
But when it grows uncontrollably, it becomes a cancerous growth, which then has a potential to spread beyond into lymphatic glands as well as into the bloodstream to other organs. So how do you know you have an MCC? Well, the Merkel cell carcinoma often presents as a surprise diagnosis. It's not something that even a skin cancer expert will pick when they see the pink or purplish lump on the skin. So the Merkel cell carcinoma presents as a growing bump and then into a lump or a nodule. And sometimes it can present quite late where people present with a large lump in the lymph glands, so in the neck, the armpits or the groin region, or even the large mass, indicating that the cancer has already spread beyond the origin where it started in the skin. And people normally present because there's a spot or a lump that keeps growing and doesn't seem to self-resolve. And so how is an MCC different to other types of skin cancers? So normally with other types of skin cancers, such as the squamous cell carcinoma, SCC, or basal cell carcinoma, called a BCC, they are much more common and usually they are recognised for when doctors examine patients for their skin cancers. Or with melanomas, patients present with a brown or dark changing spot on their skin, although melanomas can also sometimes present as a pink lump or bump. So Merkel cell cancers are usually pink or light purplish bumps visible on the skin or sometimes even underneath the skin where it's felt more than seen. And the diagnosis is made on the basis of a biopsy. So how's an MCC diagnosed? Well, it all starts when you come in for a skin check because maybe you've seen a concerning lump or bump on your skin, which has continued to grow. So then they come to the doctor for a skin cancer check. It sometimes can be even a little pimple-like tiny spot that they're concerned about and the biopsy is taken and then the diagnosis is made on the basis of biopsy. So it, it's not often something that is suspected at the time of the biopsy by the doctor. The doctor probably will assume that it's another more common type of skin cancer like a basal cell carcinoma BCC. So normally it would be a punch biopsy or a shave biopsy taken to confirm another suspected type of cancer, but the result comes back showing a Merkel cell cancer. So an MCC might actually be a surprise diagnosis. Your doctor might have taken an excision thinking that it was one type of skin cancer, and the histology report comes back from the lab and says it was an MCC. And so what does that pathology report actually look like? So on the pathology report, the description will describe very tiny blue cells, which are very packed in with lots of what we call nuclei, which is the blue-coloured cells, an infiltration of or sheets of the blue cells and the report would normally also include lots of special immunohistochemistry stains to exclude other diagnoses and to come to the conclusion of a muscle cell carcinoma diagnosis. The histology report will also indicate the size of the biopsy, whether it's a partial biopsy or punch biopsy or shave biopsy or whether it's an excision. And with the excision, it's also important to note the size of the tumour itself, although that can be a clinical assessment as well. A small tumour would be considered a tumour less than two centimetres. A medium-sized tumour would be between two to five centimetres, but a large tumour will be more than five centimetres. And the size of the tumour in terms of its diameter is relevant for the staging of the condition. So like melanoma, where we stage the tumour based on the thickness of the tumour, in Merkel cell carcinoma, we stage it based on the diameter of the tumour that size on what we call macroscopic measurement. So it's whether it's less than two centimeter in radial diameter, two to five centimeters or more than five centimeters. And then also a even larger tumor would be one that would infiltrate quite deep and invade into muscle 
bone or cartilage. And then similar to other cancer diagnoses, further staging will include whether or not it's gone into lymph glands for the M stage or distant organs for the M stage, the metastasis stage. Moving on from the diagnosis, what are the treatment options for somebody with an MCC? So the first thing is making the diagnosis on the biopsy or the excision. And then after finding the diagnosis of Merkel cell carcinoma, it's important to do scanning for staging, which may likely include a PET scan and a CT scan to ensure or to check whether it's gone into distant lymph node draining regions or into distant organs as well. Following that, then there are two major modes of treatment for the local tumour wide local excision of a one to two centimetre margin, and then radiation therapy as well. For a very small tumour, it may be merely excised with a wide local excision of margins. But for a larger tumour, radiation treatment is recommended for both for primary treatment of the tumour itself and also the draining lymph node region. The Merkel cell cancer is a very radiosensitive tumour, so it responds well to radiation. Large tumours if they were just locally excised, white locally excised, still have the risk of spreading beyond into the lymph glands. Therefore, adjuvant or follow-up radiation treatment is often recommended. The other thing with at the time of white local excision, there will be a discussion whether or not sentinel lymph node biopsy is a procedure to be done at the same time. So in addition to the scans with PET scan and CT scans, sentinel lymph node biopsy is also of consideration. One thing to note too, if you've got a concerning spot or a lesion that might be an MCC, it's important that your treating clinician does a full skin check to see if there's anything else. Because remember, an MCC is caused by ultraviolet sun damage, which also causes more common types of skin cancers as well. So a full body examination, checking all the glands and being self-aware to self-examine your lymph gland regions, such as the neck, the armpits and the groin, and be self-aware as well. And then following from that, very vigilant sun protection and self-awareness of your skin, returning regularly for follow-up checks, always checking around the scar to ensure that there's no lumps and bumps coming back within the scar, and also in the region between the scar leading up to the main lymph node basin where the lymphatics would drain. For example, Merkel cell cancer on the face or the head would drain into the lymph nodes in the neck, whereas the ones in the limbs would drain into the armpit or the groin lymph nodes. Following a Merkel cell cancer diagnosis, patients often also will return for ongoing surveillance scanning as well. Unfortunately, MCC is an aggressive type of skin cancer in the melanoma or even a more aggressive than a melanoma in terms of tumour behaviour. So there is a high risk of the tumour recurring in the scar, in the draining area, up to the lymph gland, and also in distant organs. So we do ask patients to be always self-aware, report any symptoms that are otherwise unexplained to be medically assessed. And they do return three to six monthly for routine follow-up clinical examinations as well. Now we have a baseline understanding of Merkel cell carcinomas. Next up, I speak with Dr. Wen Zhu, a medical oncologist committed to clinical research with a strong interest in immuno-oncology, targeted therapies, and drug development. In this discussion, we speak about the more advanced stages of MCCs and the treatment options that exist. 
I work as a medical oncologist based at the Princess Alexandra Hospital in Brisbane. I'm a senior lecturer at the University of Queensland. I specialise in the management of skin cancers, including a special interest and passion in managing Merkel cell carcinoma. I am the chair of an organisation called Amigos, which is a nifty little acronym for the Australasian Merkel cell carcinoma interest group. So it's a cooperative group which brings together a network of clinicians and researchers and also patient advocates to stimulate research and facilitate improving standards of care for patients with this rare disease across Australia and New Zealand. Now we know that Merkel cell carcinomas are a rare type of skin cancer, but like many types of skin cancers, there's a higher incidence of Merkel cell carcinoma in Australia compared to most other countries. So the incidence here in Queensland, my home state, is 1.6 per 100,000, which is actually the highest incidence in the world. And there's more than double that of the United States, for example, where it's 7 per 100,000. It's also important to recognise that the Merkels in Australia is actually very unique in biology. Now, in the Northern Hemisphere, in the US and Europe, the majority of Merkels is caused by this virus called the Merkel cell polyomavirus, whereas here in Australia... The majority of our Merkels is actually not caused by the virus, but caused by UV radiation from sun exposure. And so in Australia and New Zealand, we do have Merkels that's caused by the virus as well. But depending on the environment and the worse the UV index is, the higher proportion of Merkels that's actually caused by UV radiation is compared to the virus. So even within Australia, there is regional differences. So here in Queensland, for example, we would have more viral negative MCC compared to somewhere like Tansy where they don't get as much sun. So how do you determine if a patient has an advanced MCC? Usually before patients are referred to myself, they probably already have a diagnosis of MCC via either their GP or dermatologist or sometimes specialised skin cancer surgeon, where there's either a biopsy or an excision of an initial tumour on the skin. So usually by the time they're sent to us for an evaluation, the suspicion is that they may have more advanced disease. That's where we come in. If we were thinking about the risk factors of an MCC, probably the most important risk factor is actually age, because MCCs are a cancer that disproportionately affect the elderly. In fact, to bring out some statistics, the median age of diagnosis of a Merkel cell carcinoma is 80 years old, the median age that patients are typically diagnosed, and only 12% of patients are diagnosed under the age of 60. So certainly age is a significant risk factor. Other than that, having your immune system suppressed is also a major risk factor for Merkels. And there are a variety of conditions that can lead to what we call immunosuppression. Conditions such as HIV or certain blood cancers, which compromise your immune system. Or in patients who need to take long-term medication to suppress your immune system, either because they've had a, an organ transplant, such as a kidney or liver transplant, where you have to take medications to suppress your immune system to stop your body from rejecting the organ. Or sometimes in patients who have what we call autoimmune diseases, so conditions such as rheumatoid arthritis or Crohn's disease, where you have to take medication to stop your own immune system from attacking yourself. So these patients that are immunosuppressed are much more likely to get Merkel's and 10 to 30 times fold more likely to get Merkel's. Secondary to that, I think Merkel's, like a lot of skin cancers, tends to occur in sun-exposed areas such as the head and neck and the limbs and fair-skinned individuals. So these are also risk factors for Merkel's. Now, remember, in this part of the discussion, we're focusing more on the advanced stages of MCCs, so stage three and four. 
But for us to do that, let's just reflect again back on what the earlier stages of MCCs are. So stage one and two. Stage one means that it's only in the skin and it hasn't spread anywhere. And it's basically a tumour that's less than two centimetres. Stage two refers to one that's greater than two centimetres. Now, when we get to stage three, that's the next stage where the MCC has spread from the primary sites of the tumour in the skin to the regional lymph nodes nearby. So as an example, if the primary mercos is in the skin of the right arm, the regional lymph nodes would be the nodes under your right armpit. And if the primary mercos is in the skin of the left leg, the regional lymph nodes might be the nodes in your left groin. So once it's spread to those regional lymph nodes, that's called stage three mercos. Stage four is the most advanced stage, and that means that the mercos has spread to distant organs, such as the lung or liver, or distant lymph nodes that are far away from the lymph nodes nearby. And stage four is the most advanced stage with the poorest outcomes. And to clarify then, thinking about stage three and stage four, is that then the same as advanced or metastatic cancer? Essentially, yes, you can look at it that way. Sometimes we use the term advanced a little bit loosely. Technically, stage three is what we would call local regional Merkels, and these patients certainly have a high risk of going on to develop stage four or metastatic disease, but they can still potentially be curable. Stage four is equivalent term as metastatic cancer. It's the most advanced stage. And currently stage four is actually the only stage of Merkels where we have access to a newer form of treatment called immunotherapy. Thinking about treatment for stages three and four MCCs, the best standard of care that we have is surgery, radiotherapy, or a combination of the two. Now, most of the time, we will try to attempt surgery if we can, if a patient is fit enough to handle surgery and the location of it is suitable for surgery. It is important to point out that radiotherapy is also a very effective local or regional treatment for MCC and can be a good option in addition to or sometimes even instead of surgery, especially if the Merkels is in, say, the head and neck area where a big operation that completely clears the tumour can be quite disfiguring. The problem with standard of care treatment for stage 3 milk is that even with optimal surgery and radiotherapy, there's still a very high risk of the patient going on to develop stage 4 disease or distant metastasis later on. And the reason for that is even after you've done a good operation or you've effectively sterilized the area of radiotherapy, there are still often microscopic cancer cells that you can't see with the naked eye or can't be detected on scans that can escape into the bloodstream or lymph nodes and eventually spread elsewhere. And so this is certainly an area that my colleagues and I are working on to try to develop better treatment options through clinical trials. Going on to stage four disease, now that by the time it becomes widely metastatic, it's certainly not curable by surgery, and we generally don't recommend surgery in this situations. So the mainstay of treatment for patients with stage four disease is drug therapy, or what we call systemic therapy. And it's called systemic therapy because we're giving the drug systemically to treat the cancer in the whole body. Now, in terms of drug therapy, not very long ago, we used to use chemotherapy to treat this disease. And while Merkels can respond well to chemotherapy, usually the responses are fairly short-lived. And on average, after about three or four months, the tumor will almost always regrow and become resistant to treatment. But a newer form of treatment, immunotherapy, which was only pioneered in metastatic Merkel cell carcinoma in 2016, is an excellent treatment for stage four Merkels. And immunotherapy works by taking the brakes off your immune system to allow it to fight the cancer. Got it. So obviously some 
promising developments there and opportunities for options for patients there with immunotherapy. Are there side effects for treatment by immunotherapy for Merkel cell carcinoma? Yes, there are side effects that can happen with immunotherapy. Although I would say that by and large, compared to most of the other treatments that I can give as an oncologist, immunotherapy is definitely one of the easiest treatments. So there are certainly promising developments and immunotherapy is sometimes a great option for patients with advanced MCCs. There are side effects that can happen with immunotherapy, but by and large, compared to most other treatments that an oncologist could give, immunotherapy is definitely one of the easier treatments. I'll just explain a little bit about how you know, immunotherapy works and then from understanding that and then I think you can appreciate why you get certain side effects. So normally your body's immune system actually does a fantastic job of surveying the body and zoning in and destroying rogue cells well before they become visible cancer. And where a person develops a visible cancer, it's usually in the event their immune system has either failed to recognize cancer cells or because if your immune system is exhausted and can no longer keep the cancer cells under control. So normally your body actually has natural breaks to turn off the immune system because if you don't do that, then your immune system can get a little bit crazy and can attack your own healthy tissue and cause problems in the form of autoimmune disease. So immunotherapy essentially turns off these natural breaks in your immune system to reawaken your immune system to fight the cancer. And the beauty of this approach is that your immune system has a long memory and if these treatments work, they can work really for a very long time. And a lot of patients with even very advanced disease can actually be cured potentially. But as I said, immunotherapy, because it uses your own natural immune system, is a lot kinder than something like chemotherapy. There's no nausea or vomiting, you don't lose your hair you know, or vulnerable infections, etc. However, uncommon and rare side effects can occur and it can be a little bit unpredictable and can occur in any organ. And they happen because of that concept of autoimmunity where if your immune system is too activated, they can go and attack your own healthy tissue. So as an example, your immune system can attack your skin and cause a rash or an itch. It can attack your hormone glands like your thyroid gland. It can attack your bowels and cause diarrhea, which can be nasty. Or it can attack your liver and cause an inflammation of the liver called hepatitis. Now, most of these side effects are either uncommon or rare. And the key thing to managing these side effects is firstly to educate the patient on what they can potentially be so the patients can look out for them. And as a patient on immunotherapy, I think the key thing is to be aware and vigilant about these potential side effects and to recognize them early and then report them to your oncologist or cancer nurse specialist. Because most of these side effects, if we recognize them early and manage them appropriately, can be fully reversible with the exception of some hormone side effects. But the key things, if you try to be stoic and tough it out and don't report them early, some of these side effects can go on to become life-threatening. As you've heard, the best care for cancer patients should be managed by a team of specialists, not just one individual clinician. And these teams of clinicians are often referred to as MDTs or multidisciplinary teams. So this is usually a meeting made up of a team of specialists that might include a medical oncologist like myself, radiation oncologists, specialist surgeons, dermatologists, and also pathologists and radiologists that can go through the scans and pathology of the tumour together. We come up with a consensus recommendation this is the way we try to manage really all cancer patients, but it's especially critical for the management of a rare cancer like Merkel, where a lot of doctors wouldn't necessarily have had much experience or expertise. 
So certainly we work very closely with our colleagues in different disciplines and all medical's patients really be, have a recommendation through a skin cancer MDT. Another really important element of advancing care for cancer patients are clinical trials, because through clinical trials, we learn how to improve treatment for patients. And there are clinical trials that are available for any stage of Merkel cell from early stage to late stage. One of the clinical trials that I'm leading is called the IMAT trial, where we're bringing immunotherapy, which at the moment is a very effective proven treatment only for stage four metastatic Merkel's patients, into earlier stage disease, so stage one to three Merkel's, after they've had surgery or radiotherapy. Whilst a very powerful treatment is only available for stage four Merkel's patients, because it's only been proven in that setting, which is about 10% of patients with Merkel's, so the remaining 90% of Merkel patients don't actually have access to that type of treatment. We also have a number of trials in patients with more advanced stage four Merkels that are resistant to immunotherapy. And I would say that in general, cancer patients almost always tend to do better, that is have better outcomes. Those that participate in clinical trials tend to have better outcomes than those that do not. And mm. partly this may be because they can get a better treatment on a clinical trial, although this certainly isn't always the case. It's also because Patients on clinical trials tend to be followed up more closely and monitored more closely, and so we can detect recurrences or issues earlier on. While a clinical trial does certainly require more of a time commitment, often initially, and there are definitely potential risks involved that need to be carefully considered, in general, participating in a clinical trial is not only the best option for yourself as a patient, but also will help us to advance knowledge to help future patients that come along. So it's definitely something that I would encourage patients to consider if there's this one that's suitable for them. Remember, clinical trials are regularly changing and being updated. Make sure you check with your treating team about what clinical trial might be right for you. If we're talking about advanced MCCs in stage three and four, you might start to think about what the prognosis might be. And I think that that can be a sensitive topic. And I think a prognosis is like giving a projected outcome of how a cancer, how an illness will go. And we can give a prediction of the chance of being cured versus the chance of the cancer returning. And, you know, as a cancer specialist, we are able to give an educated guess of a patient's prognosis or likelihood of survival based on one hour experience and two, the statistical average. But it's really important to appreciate that it's ultimately it's not possible for anyone to predict exactly how long any individual patient's going to survive. But I think if you look at it statistically, in general, the prognosis for Merkel cell carcinoma is poor. So for stage three Merkels, for example, up to 50% of the patients will have a recurrence of the disease after two years, despite surgery and or radiotherapy. And 70% will unfortunately die by five years. Merkel's is by far the deadliest skin cancer far worse outcomes than melanoma. Even for early stage disease, for the prognosis for stage one to two Merkels, the chance of recurring by two years is around 30 to 40%. But I think the good news is that prognosis can dramatically improve when an effective new treatment come, becomes available. So for example, prior to 2016, before immunotherapy was available for stage four or metastatic Merkel's patients, the medium survival for a stage four Merkel's patients was only around nine months. Less than 10% of patients would survive beyond two years. Since immunotherapy has been introduced for stage four patients, we have more than 60% surviving beyond three years. And many of these patients are actually likely to have long-term survival. So it's really made a massive difference. 
Now, Australia is a big country and it's sparsely populated and it can be challenging for anyone living in rural or remote areas to regularly travel into a city hospital for treatment for an MCC. It may not be necessary to physically go into the city every time you need treatment, but your case might need to be discussed with your multidisciplinary team. And usually these MDTs are only available at the bigger tertiary hospitals and capital cities or at least some larger regional city. But this can be done by telehealth. You don't necessarily have to physically travel to the city. I think one of the, the byproducts of the pandemic is that we're all much more comfortable using telehealth. And certainly your scans and your pathology can be reviewed in an MDT of the city without you being physically there. So once a plan is made and the consensus is reached, this plan can then be communicated to your local cancer specialist in where you live in regional Australia. So if you receive a diagnosis for an MCC, it's worthwhile asking your GP what stage your cancer is at and what other tests are needed to define that further. I think it's worthwhile asking, especially if you're in a regional area, should my case be discussed in a MDT and should I see any other specialists? Because I think that the reality is Merkel is such a rare cancer and I think your average GP or sometimes even dermatologists might only see one two cases a year and it's really important that you are referred to a specialist centre for an opinion. I think it's also worth asking are there any clinical trials that you're aware of that may be available and I think if the first doctor that you see isn't in a position to answer all of these questions and I think that would prompt them to refer to a specialist who sees more Merkel's patients. Lastly in this episode focused on MCCs I speak to Dr David Koch who's a radiation oncologist and medical educator who works at both the Peter McCallum Centre and the University of Melbourne. In this chat, we explore in more depth the options when it comes to radiation therapy for treatment of Merkel cell carcinomas. My primary clinical role at Peter Mac is a radiation oncologist. So that's an oncologist who specialises in the delivery of radiation therapy. Peter Mac is a large cancer centre based down in Melbourne, Victoria. It's actually the first and largest quaternary referral centre, so that just means specialist cancer centre in Australia since there's been a number of in other states. But it's fairly large. It's got five different campuses around Victoria, and we certainly see a lot of Merkel cell cancers here. In actual fact, I think that in terms of the published case literature, then we've got the largest experience of Merkel cell cancer in the world, which was published just earlier this year by myself and colleagues. Despite being a rare cancer, they get seen quite, most of them in the Victorian system end up coming to see us. And as a result, we have a reasonably high experience with this. Now we're exploring the use of radiation therapy for MCCs in this part of the episode. And earlier in these discussions, we heard about the need to make the initial diagnosis of an MCC via a surgical excision. So there's a lump on someone's skin, you don't know what it is, you must take a little bit out of that to look at it under the microscope and determine what it is. Now, once you've actually done that, there's two pathways out from that. The first is a larger excision to remove the Merkel cell and some surrounding tissue. And the second pathway is to treat it with radiotherapy, which has also been shown in this particular cancer to be extremely effective. Depending on where you find yourself around the world, then you may end up on either of those pathways. At Peter Mac and in Australia in general, there's probably a higher use of radiation therapy than anywhere else in the world. 
just looking at some of that data that I mentioned previously, actually 90% of patients at Peter Mac use the radiation therapy pathway. So when might radiation therapy be considered for treatment of MCCs? So there's sort of two different points where you might receive radiotherapy. So we talked about how you can perform the initial biopsy, as we call it, to get the diagnosis. So some people at that point may still go then and do a small surgical excision to remove the lump. Having the actual physical lump there is something which not a lot of people like to have, so they like the immediacy of removal. But as you may have already heard, then the risk with Merkel cell cancers is that they tend to have microscopic spread into the skin surrounding the edges of it. So the first two to three centimetres beyond visible tumour is still at risk of these microscopic spots of tumour. The question is, do you therefore do surgical excision of a further three centimetres around the primary or do you treat that area with radiotherapy? In the majority of cases locally and that we treat at Peter Mac, we tend to use the radiation therapy pathway because you can imagine if you have a spot of disease on your face, then once you remove the tumour plus a further three centimetres around it, that becomes quite a large surgical excision and can be cosmetically difficult to deal with. Whereas radiation therapy gives the alternative pathway. So that's probably the majority of people who would follow that pathway. They'd do a small surgical excision followed by radiation therapy to the surrounding skin. But there's also scenarios where you might go straight to radiation therapy for people who don't want to have any further surgical excision. So you might be wondering what radiation therapy involves. To explain that, let's start by understanding what radiation therapy is. And it's not much different to having an X-ray. So, you know, you break a bone and get an X-ray or you have a chest X-ray for whatever reason. Um, You lie in a machine, takes a few seconds, you feel nothing and then you walk away. Radiotherapy is not, in principle, not much different to that. So it's still painless. It uses the exactly same beams, those X-rays. But the differences are that you have to turn it on for a bit longer. So rather than a few seconds, which it takes to generate that picture, we usually turn it on for a couple of minutes. And in addition, we are a bit more targeted. So we're not scattering a little bit of dust all over you to create a picture. We're pointing at one particular area and giving the dust to that one spot. In addition, you usually will have multiple sessions of radiotherapy. An X-ray, again, one thing, you go in and out. With radiotherapy, you'll usually have it over a number of weeks. Most common in for something like Merkel cell cancer is actually a six-week course, five days a week. So it's quite a few sessions involved. And are there potential side effects of radiation therapy? Yeah, like any therapy, then there's some side effects which are possible. The good news of treating skin, and one of the reasons why I love being a skin radiation oncologist, is they're very specific to the area that I focus at. So when we treat skin, the most common reaction is a sunburn type reaction on the area that I'm pointing, and it gets red and sore, and that happens gradually. So we mentioned that it could be a six-week course of treatment, Usually the first two or three weeks, people don't notice much of anything. But by the time you get to the second half of treatment, then that redness, that soreness becomes a bit more prominent. And at the end of a course of treatment, it can be like a pretty good going sunburn is usually the best way to describe it. And again, that's different depending on what sites we treat. If we were using radiation therapy for a stomach cancer or for a lung cancer, then the side effects are relatively different because, again, we're causing inflammation in those areas. But on the skin it tends to be quite limited to that treatment area. So one of the risks of MCCs is they have a tendency to spread throughout your body. 
And this is where sentinel lymph node biopsies come in. So the nodal regions or lymph nodes, which you all have heard about, what they are is they're like the little outposts in the body which are meant to pick up these sorts of things, whether it's cancers, but also in other scenarios, infections, etc., at a really early stage. What you often find is that if the Merkel cell has gone further afield, the first place you'll find it will be in the lymph node regions nearby. Now, the problem, of course, is that there's a lot of lymph node regions in the body. So particularly if you're thinking about around the head and neck region, which is where a lot of Merkel cell cancers arise, then there are lymph node regions in the cheek, in the neck, behind the ear. So it can be really difficult to predict where would be the first place that a cancer cell might go to. Mm. So that's why we do this thing, which is called the sentinel node. So what it basically does is inject a little bit of dye into the location of the tumour, where the primary tumour was. And in essence, you look to see where that dye goes. There's a few fancy ways of doing it now. We've got a few sort of tracing type systems to be able to identify where that goes. But because basically wherever that dye goes is probably where a cancer cell would have gone if it was going to use the same route. So you follow it back, you find the first node that it goes to, that's referred to as the sentinel node, and then we remove that and look at it under the microscope and say, can we find any other cancer cells in this particular node? And um, if the answer is yes, then you know it gives you an indication that, oh, look, it does look like this cancer has gone further afield. But if the answer is no, you can feel reasonably confident that, that that hasn't occurred and then you can just really deal with the original lesion. And so when would you do a sentinel node biopsy? What the international community is realising is that Merkel cells have this ability to spread almost no matter what their size. We actually have a, there was a case of a six millimetre initial lesion which went to a lymph node fairly recently and it was published by some of my team at Peter Mac. So in short, there's no Merkel lesion which has a negligible risk of lymph node spread. Therefore, in actual fact, the answer is virtually any Merkel cell should be considering a sentinel node biopsy to be able to confirm whether it's gone to lymph nodes or not. Um, and the only exceptions would be where it's already so obvious that it might have gone to a lymph node. So if a person actually comes in with a mass in a lymph node region, that there's no need to do the sentinel node because it's, it, you can tell it's already there. Like all cancers, once a cancer is beyond its original location, then it does change the picture fairly dramatically. Not to say that it's not curative, but it's definitely easier to, to treat and manage cancers when they're just in one location. And so once they've gone further afield, it's got fairly significant implications for what management we have to do and also in terms of long-term outcome from the treatment. And who actually does the biopsy? Is it a day procedure? Do yeah. you stay in hospital? How does that work? Yeah. So it's not the radiation oncologist that does that. It's one of my colleagues. So it's usually done by my surgical colleagues. The procedure is a day procedure. So it's fairly quick, actually. You'd come in in the morning. It is done in theatre, but only takes perhaps about an hour or so maximum. So it's, again, an injection of the dye into the original site, following it back to where it goes and then removal of that location plus a little bit of short time of in being monitored in what we call the recovery section, et cetera. It's probably two or three hours that you're in hospital to have this procedure. Yeah. Now, you might be thinking, a course of radiation, is that safe? And my answer to that is, is definitely yes. Once again, if I use the X-ray example, the moment that you get off the machine, 
having finished the chest x-ray or whatever it is, then you can usually return to life as normal with no limitations. And that's exactly the same with receiving radiotherapy. After each session daily, normally you can jump off the couch and there's people who return and do a full eight hours or nine hour day at work. You don't need to stay away from others. You're not radioactive or have a green glow or anything like that. That's a pretty common one. The other thing that I get asked is, how effective do you think this will be? Like it's something which I know that again, surgery, you have the immediacy of knowing that there was a lump there and it's gone, but with radiotherapy, it's a much more gradual effect. And the answer to that is yes, it does take a bit longer for us to see the results. So usually the majority of the regression of tumor is actually seen in the week or two after we finish. So you actually have to go through the whole six weeks of treatment and then it's in the week or so just afterwards that you really see these lumps start to shrink away. But I think what's really arguably very satisfying about that is that you do get to see them. In the surgery, it's mm. in a pot and it's, in, it's taken away and you never see it again. Whereas here, you can actually go day by day and watch as this thing shrinks before your eyes. And so there is some reassurance to patients when that happens. So the other thing I get asked is about where can you receive radiation therapy? So mm. radiotherapy, because it requires specialised machinery and equipment means that unfortunately it it isn't provided at every medical center or hospital and therefore there may be a need to find your local radiation therapy center. Luckily then there has been particularly in recent years quite a lot more major radiotherapy centers based in regional and rural locations which means that the need to travel into metropolitan centers to have this treatment is much less but yeah, obviously is a little bit dependent on where you are specifically located. It will generally be in a hospital because of the amount of infrastructure, et cetera, needed to support it. So it'll be at your local base hospital in the majority of cases. Now, dealing with a diagnosis of skin cancer can be difficult from a mental health point of view. So it's important to seek professional help for support with your diagnosis. Naturally, Anytime turns around to you and says those words that you have a cancer of any sort, then that's a very challenging time in your life. And people are going to have different mechanisms and abilities to cope with that. I generally start by just getting a feel for the individual. So when you talk to them, you have some idea of what their initial reaction is, how affected they are in the short term. But then you also need to return to that in forthcoming consultations because it may be that some people take a little bit more time to come to grips with things. So they're, just because somebody initially looks like they're handling it very well doesn't mean that in two or three weeks afterwards that they're feeling the exactly the same way. And again, that's pretty, pretty expected that people will have ups and downs in how they're feeling mentally through a course of treatment, particularly when it can be many weeks long. Ultimately, one of the key things I find is that everybody needs to just have somebody that they can talk to. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a professional. Sometimes that's just a close partner. Sometimes that's a close friend. But I feel half the time it's the ability to be able to just deal with those emotions and just speak out loud some of those things. And that often is very therapeutic in itself. And in scenarios where I find that people don't necessarily have somebody in their close circle that they feel the ability to do that, then that's often where I'll dig a little bit deeper to see whether they could potentially benefit from some professional support. In short, everybody's case is quite individual. I don't know that there's a single clear line to it, but some level of support usually is required in nearly every case. And this is a view that's shared by 
clinicians all over the world, including Dr. Wen Zhu from earlier in this episode. And if you feel you're struggling, at least feel free to reach out. And the diagnosis of cancer is a really devastating thing to deal with, especially the diagnosis of such a rare and aggressive cancer, such as multiple cell carcinoma. And it can be very mentally draining for not only the patient, but also their family and support network. And so I think that call to reach out for help if you're in trouble applies for family and support networks as well. And even after successful treatment, there's always that there's a lot of survivorship issues. There's always a fear of recurrence, which we really see peak before each time patients have a surveillance scan and that's all ever present. And there's really no shame to admit that. It's not something you have to deal with alone. It's really important to seek some professional help before it becomes overwhelming. Whether that be initially speaking to your doctor and your oncologist that's looking after you, it can certainly be referred to a psychologist. And I think peer support's also important. And while that's more readily available for common cancers, it's more of an unmet need for a rare cancer, multiple cell carcinoma. I think Amigos as an organisation, so the Australasian Local Cell Carcinoma Interest Group, we're trying to really build up more of a network of patient advocates and local survivors that can help support each other and drive patient advocacy for this rare disease. So if you're in that position, please feel free to reach out to us. Glad to hear from you. And that's it for another episode of the Spot On Podcast. Make sure you share this episode with a friend or family member if you think they'll get some value. MScan acknowledges the traditional owners and ongoing custodians of the land on which this podcast was recorded, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. Remember that all the content discussed in these episodes is for information purposes. Please make sure you speak to a medical professional for advice relating to your own specific situation. This podcast is brought to you by the Melanoma and Skin Cancer Advocacy Network, MScan, who are providing a new, innovative approach to tackle Australia's national cancer. For more information visit mscan.org.au.